Money FM 89.3, best of workday afternoon. Market View on Money FM 89.3. You're listening to Money FM 89.3, and this is the wrap for Market View for the week that was. Unfortunately, Clarissa Montero will not be with us today, but I, JP Ong, will be holding for it alongside Jeff Howie, market strategist for the SGX. And as always, we try to recap what happened for the markets in the week that was. But first, we have to take a look at how markets are behaving this Friday. In fact, we're seeing that the Straits Times Index is one of the notable losers in the region so far today. Unfortunately, the local benchmark falling below 3,100 in today's session, down 0.8% to 3,084. But similar to what we saw yesterday, appetites in the morning session fairly muted, less than half a billion Singapore dollars in total value turnover, although we have seen that generally markets have been waiting until the last hour to really pick up appetites and trading activity. We'll see if there's a repeat of that later on. But so far, only 467 million Singapore dollars in total value turnover in the half breadth time. And we are seeing that the second and third liners doing a little bit better than some of their blue chip counterparts, although the red team still has it. 186 stocks, REITs and trusts that are stuck in the red and just a little bit more than the 180 that are mounting modest gains. And this is in stark contrast to how the rest of the region is behaving. Many stocks actually in the Asia Pacific space actually staying in the green. In the red team, though, we are seeing that the Nikkei 225 is keeping the Straits Times Index uh, company. They are currently trading half a percent lower out in Tokyo to 27,000. 1,609 points. The ASX 200 also falling by about two and a half points today. Fairly muted losses out in Sydney, but the ASX 200 slipping to 7,488. Better days for the South Korean KOSPI. Slight gains for the South Korean benchmark rising to by about two and a half points to 3,130. The TIEX today in Taipei also gaining by 106 points, while we have the, uh, uh, the TIEX up to 17,173, that is. Meanwhile, we have mainly Chinese markets getting a bit more support. This after it was revealed that the PBOC or the Chinese Central Bank pumped in the biggest weekly cash injection since February in in an attempt to bolster market sentiment out on the mainland. The Shanghai Composite is currently gaining by about half a percent to 3,518 points. The Shenzhen Bourse also rising by 41 points to 14,456. Meanwhile, the Hang Seng also on better footing today, trading 111 points higher at 25,527. A bit of a head-scratcher, really, to see the STI in the red so far today. But perhaps Jeff Howie of the SGX can help us make sense of this. Jeff, we've seen a lot of movement in this week with regards to the markets. And, of course, everybody gearing up for the Jackson Hole Symposium and Fed Chair Jerome Powell's speech in a couple of hours. But the continued regulatory concerns out of mainland China, COVID-19 uncertainties continue to weigh on markets. But we are seeing that the blue chips here, at least, are just being a bit more cautious and perhaps taking a step back in comparison to some of their other peers in the Asia-Pacific space. Um, again, losses really not that huge. But then again, a bit a bit puzzling to see that the SEI is feeling a bit more subdued as compared to some of their counterparts. What do you make of this, Jeff? Yeah, it's been really interesting, JP, because there have been some interesting moves this week across mm-hmm. the global markets, and they have extended here into Singapore. Uh, case in point is that uh, as you mentioned, the, the, the STI is, is in the red uh, today and is in the red for the week. Um, and banks make up a really big part of the, of the STI. And banks, banks have been uh, not too bad globally. Uh, DBS so far this week, I think, is down uh, one-tenth of a percent. UOB is down four-tenths of a percent. And OCBC is down half a percent this week. But globally, what we've seen is airline stocks actually outpace and outperform. Airline stocks have outpaced 
bank stocks across the world hmm. um, growing, um, tripling the gains or tripling the very modest gains of the banking stock. So we've seen that here as well. SIA Engineering is up 1.4% to $2.16 here in Singapore and Singapore Airlines is up 1.4% as well to $5.10 going uh, you know, at, at the lunchtime close. So that's, that's, that's an interesting part of it. And the other part of it is for about 95% of this week in terms of trading the trading week, the STI has been in a very narrow band of something like 30 points for 95% of the time right. between 31.15 and 3.085, which is where we are now. And that brings us down to uh, down six tenths of a percent for the week. Yang Zijiang uh, was the SDI's main mover for the week. It rallied 14% and I think it closed at lunch at $1.63. And that's on the reopening of the Ningbo um, port, which mm-hmm. did see, uh, which has also seen a sharp rebound in global shipbuilders across the world. In fact, shipbuilders has been the best performing industry across the world for the global stock market this week as well. Um, Samcorp Marine has also added some 3% this week. Um, Costco Shipping, the logistics play, has gained 6%. And I guess other stocks that generated the gains uh, of the FTSE SDI share index, they're not SDI stocks per se. It's Nanofilm Technologies International, which I think has gained 10% over the f- first four and a half sessions of the week. Tianjin Jongsin Pharmaceuticals, Silver Lake Access, Straits Trading, iFast, China Everbright Water, they've also led that 100 or so stocks that make up the FTSE SDI share index this week. And the stocks that were the decliners uh, were the more of the more broader FTSE SDI share index this week. They've included Hutchport, SGX, Golden Agri Resources, Food Empire Holdings and MLT, Maple Tree Logistics Trust. And the rise in the US 10-year yields from 1.26% uh, last Friday to 1.3% today has seen REITs also across the world uh, among the least performing industries um, and, our, and our IHS REIT uh, index has followed suit, I think down around six tenths to seven tenths of a percent so far this week. But for, for today, um, I guess the standout mover has been Comfort Delgro Corporation. Mm. You, you saw it's gained two and a half percent, I think climbed to around $1.64. The turnover in the morning session was $27 million, So that's above average because it usually trades $27 million a day. Um, it, before the market opened this morning, it, it noted it had been watered that $1.1 billion sing dollar contract to operate rail services in Auckland. Um, that's the group's first endeavour into New Zealand. And it also follows on from an announcement last week, remember, that it was pursuing an IPO on the ASX for its uh, Comfort Delgro Corporation Australia subsidiary. Um, Australia, uh, it, it, its operations in Australia contributed to one-fifth of the group's revenue in the first half of this year. And that's grown quite a bit because I remember five years ago, back in the full year of 2016, that Australia revenue only contributed one-tenth to the overall revenue. Mm-hmm. And about over a billion Singapore dollars, I believe, for regards to that New Zealand contract. Um, Jeff, I do want to return to the REITs and uh, some of these stocks here. It was interesting because the other day, I actually spoke to Carmen Lee of OCBC, and I asked her about these rising rate pressures, potentially from uh, the Fed tapering some of their monetary support. Now, of course, we can talk about uh, this is going to be the big event moving forward, but she did mention that it could provide some potential headwinds, actually, for dividend-bearing stocks. Of course, we know the STI and the SGX itself has a lot of uh, um, dividend-bearing stocks. It's one of the hallmarks, actually, of the markets here. Do you think this might also be just contributing just a little bit towards why we're seeing um, some headwinds here in Singapore? Or do you think that the dividend play is still pretty intact despite some of this potential rate pressures? 
I mean, the dividend plays are one part of it, JP, but also the acquisitions that come from uh, the low interest rates that we've had. So mm-hmm. as, as we've seen, a number of REITs here in Singapore have made pivots into new sub-segments or new property types at the same time uh, either uh, tapping the secondary market for more funds or raising some debt or increasing some debt to make uh, DPU uh, yield accretive uh, acquisitions, so to speak. So there's a couple of considerations. First and foremost is I know it's, it's very much about dividends for investors, but it's also about growth and uh, asset enhancements and um, the opportunities that the uh, REIT managers do take to increase the value for the unit holders, not just through dividend, but obviously making acquisitions, um, uh, making the portfolios as efficient as possible to increase the yield. Then I guess on that comparative basis, that very much has been uh, a consideration this year. REITs, REITs were among the, w- the weaker segment of the financial and the financial adjacent segments in the first half of this year, mm-hmm. obviously because the, uh, the 10-year yields were so high. Uh, and then with the 10-year yields coming back in the middle of the year, um, up to recently, uh, we saw more interest go back into the REIT. So uh, it will, uh, while there is a certain amount of liquidity in the market and the, um, the financial conditions across the world do maintain pretty easy, uh, you will, of course, see those rotations back and forth. So um, that, is, that, is, that is absolutely correct what Carmen said. And uh, or what we do, but we do see that play out on a week-on-week basis per se, rotating uh, into the banks. We've seen when the when the yield curve steepens, predominantly because the 10-year yields get higher, and then uh, a rotation out of the banks and and into the REITs in the past when those yields come when those um, yields come off uh, off so to speak. Right. Okay. So Jeff, as we as we've been talking or alluding to throughout this conversation, also the, of course the big event is tonight at the Jackson Hole Symposium when Fed Chair Jerome Powell outlined his speech. Many are expecting him to lay out the groundwork for the potential tapering of bond uh, purchases by the Federal Reserve. How big of a deal is this? And what else will we be tracking later on when, J- when Fed Chair Powell delivers his much-awaited remarks? Yeah, so the Jackson Hole Policy Symposium, it begins virtually tonight. Uh, the what is it titled? The macroeconomic policy in an uneven economy, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Fed chair's remarks, they will be streamed live. So it's the Kansas City Fed that always hosts this um, symposium. And you can go to the Kansas City Fed uh, website to actually follow what the Fed chair says. So I guess they're, they're building up, they're setting the stage for everyone in the world to be watching. So I, I think, I guess it is a big deal. Um, the morning session, it will focus on monetary policy and and fiscal policy amid these uh, shocks, um, uneven shocks as well. And the, I guess the interaction of fiscal and monetary policy will also be discussed. Uh, and then we'll also see um, discussions on the impact of COVID-19 on the uneven labour market and uh, the low interest and the monetary policy um low interest rate policy and monetary policies in the uneven economy discussed. So you can kind of see the playbook here. It is obviously the labour market does 
um, remain in the focus. COVID-19 obviously is in the focus, but also importantly, how monetary policy and fiscal policy interact. And we've got a lot of fiscal policy now coming through the pipeline in the US uh, with the infrastructure bill and the social welfare bill um, coming through now. And the Fed chair has always maintained that fiscal policy is a predominant driver of growth, more so than monetary policy. So this dynamic uh, will be interesting. Um, There was more Fed speak this week by current non-voters, and that was mostly hawkish on on the tapering of asset purchases. Um, The... uh, You had the Fed Kansas President Esther George, you had Dallas President Robert Kaplan, and then St. Louis's James Bullard. They all weighed in. Now, the Fed Chair may elect to give some tapering foresight, but but is possibly more likely going to reiterate that while, as he said in the past, uh, individual dot plots and opinions, they do serve the market with transparency, they do not form an FOMC decision. And the consideration of the Delta variant and its impact on the US labour market is, is obviously a priority, a priority for the Fed that he may choose to reiterate. But I guess following that in the week ahead, we do have the Atlanta Fed president, and he is an FOMC voting member this year. Um, the, he will be having speaker engagements more on the inclusive economics and creating even economic opportunities and so forth. But it really will be more so a big solid week for economic data, I think, through to August payrolls on Friday night, which I think are currently expected to come in at around 750,000 or to 800,000 jobs put on. Mm-hmm. And that was close to that, that follows close to 950,000 jobs added in July. And then the US also will have these updates on consumer confidence, construction spending, trade balance, ISM manufacturing, and fact, factory orders. So there'll be more data than Fed speak next week. Um, but of course, it will be uh, key to see what happens, um, first of all, tonight. If it does result in the Fed laying out a gr- the groundwork for tapering, do you think they've done enough to communicate this properly with, uh, without risking market volatility, Jeff? What are your thoughts? Uh, no, I would say last week there was... You remember last week we had the Fed minutes, uh, mm-hmm. not this week, the, the week before we had the Fed minutes. And the Fed minutes did seem to communicate that... Uh, the Fed members were more hawkish than the market had actually taken from both the press conference and the speech that uh, Jerome Powell had made at the end of July. Mm-hmm. Now, if you if you if you look at who also spoke, as we said, Neil um, spoke last week Neil as well. Kerry. Yes, and um, he 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 maintained that line that the COVID nineteen had still create has has still created a lot of headwinds in the U.S. labour market, and the U.S. labour market is well off the potential where it should be, um, uh, you know, if, if, if COVID-19 had not eventuated. So he was, he was, he, his narrative was more along the lines of your uh, COVID-19 has created these issues in the labour market. At the moment, the Delta variant is still prevalent, um, and that uh, is the is the key thing to watch the the impact that the delta variant was having on the impact that the delta variant was potentially having on the labour market was their key consideration at the time more 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 so than tapering. Of course, back to delta, it seems and a lot will depend on the COVID nineteen pandemic as it has for the most the better part of the last two years. But all bets are off, of course, until we hear from Fed Chair Powell himself in a couple of hours. And that is market view wrap for this week. I'd like to thank Jeff Howie's. Mark- 
market strategist for the SGX for joining us today and neatly outlining what to watch out for in, as we near the start of September. Jeff, stay safe and hope you have a good weekend ahead, sir. You too. Thank you. This is Market View Wrap with JP Ong. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.